the Main Character Podcast with Zan Bennett. So for this week's episode, we've created a like a big list of all these frameworks that we've used in life and in business and, and just kind of how you see the world. And so we're just going to rapid fire go through them and talk a little bit about what they are, what they mean, and why they've been useful. Yeah. And really, our goal is that one of them ends up sticking with you after we talk, and that in the next situation in your life, you are actually able to encompass one of these frameworks and actually maybe make it actionable in real life. Right. Okay. Let's start with uh, let's start with you, Daniel. What's your first one? All right. One that I've always struggled with is the idea of the grass is always greener. Basically, romanticizing that what we don't have is actually going to be better than what we currently have. Um, I've struggled with this when I'm in relationships versus not in a relationship. Or if I had this car, then everything would change. Or if I lived in this city, or if I've done all of these things, my life would be that much better. And then what ends up inevitably always happening is that you get that thing and you're still the same person in your mind and you don't change. And so that's something that I really want people to take home and understand that grass is always greener. It's not always greener. It's actually right now that you can make the world a beautiful place. Yeah. I think about that a lot. And I think that sometimes when you have optionality, it can make it so that you feel more stuck because you're like, hey, what you have two good options, you know, or you have three, or then then you get caught up in saying, okay, well, what would I have done? What would... I think key for me is always look forward, right? Like looking back and have like regret is never useful hmm. as a feeling. Yeah. You know, whenever you feel regret, you're like, you know what? That was how it was meant to be. Yeah. I'll do the next one. Never make a decision when you're angry. One of my favorite quotes is anger is temporary madness. Basically, when you get angry, you should not be in a headspace to make decisions. You're always going to regret it. And almost always when I'm angry and I deal with a circumstance when I'm angry, I look back 20 minutes to an hour later and I'm like, ah, I wish that I just went on a walk. I wish that I just cleared my head, took some breaths and came back and made that exact same decision. Um, It would have been a different result and it would have been perceived by stakeholders differently. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's also the same for when you're hungry or when you're tired or when you're like the question should always be if you're struggling with something, the question should always be, are you qualified in this moment to answer the question? And what do I mean by that? I mean, like, have you eaten well? Have you slept well? Have you like, are you feeling positive about the relationships in your life? Making decisions is often more important than the work you do. And so I think that there's that feedback loop where if you consistently figure out how to have the right mindset by controlling, by being honest with yourself about what you see and being able to take actions to be able to address it, then you're going to create a cycle where you're making better decisions and you're creating less stress and then it's like a feedback loop. Yeah. The next one is the three second rule. And this is about being assertive in life. If, uh, If there's something that you want in the world, you and like you see it, decide. And I'm not talking about like the big decisions that you have to think about, but how many times in your day or my day or any of our days do we walk around and we have some instinct that we don't act on? And so the three second rule is about acting on your instincts when it comes to these little things that are going to help guide your life to having more structural serendipity so that more luck happens to you because you put yourself in more positions where uh, luck can happen to you. Yeah. And I would just say one more thing where it's, A lot of times, you know what needs to be done and you overthink it 
And then one way to use this rule as well is just say three, two, one and do it. <laughs> a very simple example is, you know, you should take a cold shower because it's really healthy for you. And you're standing in there and you're like looking at the knob and you don't want to make it cold, but you just say three, two, one and you do it. And then you're happy. You don't overthink it. You just say three, two, one and you get it done. I, that's a, that, I love that too. I had that with a similar thing with a run this morning. I was like, I could very easily convince myself not to go. I was like, I gotta, I gotta go before I think about it, right? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the the route that I do here is around the lake, so you can't turn around. I was like, no, there's one way. <laughs> like, you you're not gonna run back. Like, you're gonna. There's no shortcuts. Mm. So yeah, commit to it. I can't remember a time that I committed to it in that kind of like something I knew that was good for me something that I would have pulled myself back and then I went for it and then I regretted it later. Like that doesn't happen. You always feel if it's the right choice in retrospect. Totally. Basically just don't overthink and commit. The next one is your circle of competence. This is a very famous mental model. And basically I think it's Warren Buffett who made it extremely famous, but what are you an expert at and what are you not an expert at? And literally focusing on what you're an expert at and Focusing on that, your energy on those things and letting go of the things that you're not good at. It's similar to the 80-20 rule, but you need to understand where your blind spots are. What are you really good at? Focusing on those things and letting everything else go. Um, it's hard to do in practice. It's hard to know what you're not good at and to be honest with yourself. But as soon as you can, then you can start outsourcing those things and really doing the things that you can be a high achiever at. Definitely. You know what? You know what scalable is. Scalable is hiring people who are better than you, and then creating a group of people where everyone's in their zone of excellence, right? So, like, if you really want to rule the world, like you're you're just going to be managing people who are managing people who are managing people who are managing people. Mm. Which means that, like, even today, even if you're early in your career, how can you build the skill set to be able to empower people, not get caught up in the trap of like I could do it better. But because that's never true, you got to. It's the question is, how can you find somebody who can do it better than you? Mm. Okay, so the next one that I have is talking about attachment styles. Attachment styles are primarily focused on when it comes to relationships and dating. But and I, there's a book about it called actually I believe it's called Attached, and it is about dating. But I have found that this information, these frameworks, have also been helpful when I take it to relationships that are in the business world that are friendships, whatever, because I think it's all the, it's a framework that addresses the core human psychology. So what is it? There's the idea is that when people uh, are connected, specifically when they're dating, they have these four different ways that they are attached and three of them have some negative connotations. And then the fourth one is secure. So secure is like, I am in a healthy relationship with a healthy mindset and I'm approaching this in a way where I feel very confident with myself and I feel very confident with this relationship. And so I'm going to act accordingly. The other spectrum of that and think of secure maybe being in the middle on one side is avoidant. And what does avoidant look like? Avoidant looks like uh, when somebody pulls close to you, you push them away. So somebody gets close to you, somebody's maybe they're texting you, you don't text them back because and it has to do with anxiety, really, because you have when you're avoidant, some small part of anxiety, some lack of confidence is saying, hey, like, I'm going to address this by uh, removing myself from the situation. That's how you handle it. And often it's subconscious and often it's in small ways. It's not always in big ways. And the other side of it is anxious. And so anxious 
is when somebody, when you feel somebody is uh, pulling away from you, you pull close to them. So this is the person that will text you too much, or this is the behavior where you, you know, call and check in maybe overabundantly, right? And so what happens is you have these dynamics of people. And I think that the way that the psychologists think about it is that you tend to have tendencies, but I think that people can kind of be all kinds of different sides of this too, right? They can be anxious, they can be avoidant, they can be secure, and it just depends on the relationships that you have. Um, again, most prominent in dating, but also you see the flavor of it, of it in other relationships once you kind of understand these frameworks. And then the last one is anxious avoidant. So it's kind of, you're, you're doing a combination of the two. I think the key takeaway from this whole framework is first realizing that a lot of the behaviors that we feel as if are very unique and specific to the relationships that we have in life are often patterns that are true across relationships. And that as you can kind of be aware of what your behaviors are, whether they're positive or negative, and be aware of the behaviors of other people, that's a powerful tool for you to be able to like figure it out, get to a better, like knowledge is power when it comes to this. And, and this specific one has been very helpful for me when I think about like the different kinds of dynamics and relationships I've had. Hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think you did a good summary on it. I think that it's, it's directly correlated to confidence, you know, in yourself and understanding that the quirks that make you who you are, are what people are attracted to, um, and being secure in those unique characteristics so that people fall in love with what makes you different, not what makes you the same as everyone else. I think that that's super important. The next one is circle of influence versus your circle of concern. The basic understanding is that there's two big circles. One is your circle of influence, which consists of everything that you could be dealing with and thinking about. You know, the end of the world is coming. You know, World War Three is coming. All of these really intense things are happening on the horizon. And that's your circle of concern. You know, these are all of these things that you can be concerned about, that you can be worried about. In terms of business, there's so many things. What about if the market changes? What about if so many things can happen, but then inside that circle of in, uh, concern is a circle of influence. And those are the things that you can actually change. And focusing your energy on the things that you can change is so important because so much wasted energy happens on the things that you cannot change. Um, and so it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be worried about the end of the world and climate change and all those things, but how can you actually influence those things? You know, in terms of climate change, can you educate your friends? Can you sign petitions? Can you donate money? Can you just get out on the streets and help volunteer and help? But just sitting at home, watching a bunch of videos, doom scrolling, being really scared and concerned is not the appropriate response. You have a surface area of energy that you can spend and you need to be conscious to not spend it on things that literally cannot be influenced. Um, this is something that I directly use almost every single day. People approach me with problems and I'll be like, I can't change that. You know, that's not something we can talk about it. We can try to think of maybe some solutions, but if, if we can't influence it, let's move on. Let's keep focusing on things that we can actually address. Um, I think that that's a super powerful one. And just as a quick nugget, it's in, it comes from the book of the seven habits of highly effective people by Stephen Covey. I think it's one of the best books. Um, so I highly recommend everyone read that. Yeah. You recommended it to me and I did read it and it was, it was a really good book. So I'll second that. Okay. So this next one is kind of fun. It's uh, you just gotta, you gotta bear with me on it. The, the question is, and I want you to imagine right now that you are doing whatever you're doing. You're sitting in a coffee shop, you're walking to work, 
You're just, you're living your life, right? Now, when you're thinking about the decisions that you can make, what I want you to do is I want you to embody and imagine that you are the main character of a movie, right? And this movie could be any kind of movie you want. Maybe it's an action film, right? Maybe it's a film about how you sell your successful business. Maybe it's a love film. Maybe it's a, doesn't matter. The point is, is that when you see yourself as that character, you are the main character of this movie. What actions do you take today to affect your life in such a way to keep going, to keep the story happening? There's these kind of, there's these ways to think about it. It's like, if you knew that the movie was already going to be made, how would you act, right? Like if you knew success was inevitable, what would you do today? And it really comes down to highlighting confidence, right? Because there's this, there's this delta, there's this gap between whatever action you're taking and whatever actions you would take if everything worked out perfectly, right? And you could be a very confident person. You could be in the 95th percentile of confidence out there. And there's still going to be some delta because we're human and that's how we all work. And this is the society that we live in. But figuring out how to address that and then be excited about it. And, and, the, and the question is, and, so, and I ask people this sometimes, if the answer is, I'd be doing exactly what I'm doing, then it's likely you found your vocation, right? Now, what is vocation? Vocation is when your life and your work and your love, they all come together into one thing and you're just doing one thing. And that one thing is your vocation, right? And I don't think that a vocation is really something you ever achieve, but it's always something that you head towards. It's kind of like when we've talked about this on the podcast before, it's not a destination, but the vector of growth, right? Like that upward trajectory of which most of the interesting and important parts of life really happen. And so I, I encourage people whenever you're doing whatever you're doing today to say, okay, what would the main character that I am in this movie do? And what's this movie about? And if something comes to your mind, then that might reveal what you really want to do, what you really love. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I think that you have to keep saying, wait, this is not the, I'm destined for something better. And I know it deep down in myself and you need to own that and make it, bring it into reality. So the next one is a very famous startup framework called do things that don't scale. Um, that goes for so many different business lessons on like, just being able to hop on meetings by reaching out to people on LinkedIn. Like, oh, that's not going to say at scale. That's not how we can actually get this product to market and do all of these different things. But it's really not about scaling. It's about making progress. Zero to one, one to 10, 10 to 100. You know, you just need to make progress. And I think it actually goes for a bunch of life lessons. Like, for example, going to the gym once versus going to the gym five days a week for a year. They're very different things, but you just need to get started. It's kind of that zero to one principle. You know, just get started. Don't focus on long term. Just get started. Get out the door, like making progress and then focusing on scale after, after you've proven that you can make progress. Yeah. I, another way to say that is that if scaling is your problem, then that's a good problem to have. Like, let's get to that problem. Because the problem that almost everyone stops at is getting started. Mm. Whether that's a business, whether that like, if you get past that, you already won. Yeah. Like you're already winning. Yeah. All right. Another one is the map is not the territory. Uh, it's basically your perception, which is the map, is not reality, which is territory. 
um, really understanding that the way you view the world is not actually the way that the world is. It's just your perception of it. And this can be applied to so many different things. But the basic understanding is really saying, like, what map of the world have you created that you're living by that isn't actually accurate? You know, understanding where the territory actually doesn't follow with the map, where your perception of reality doesn't actually match reality. Um, and that, I think, happens in so many ways. I mean, that can be applied to almost all of these, but more specifically, like the grass is always greener. The map that you have of the world that you want to live in that would make you happy is actually not true. What would make you happy realistically is balance and living a healthy, uh, productive life going to the gym, getting good sleep, eating healthy, having a friend group, you know. So just kind of checking yourself and saying, what maps have I created of reality that aren't actually benefiting me, that aren't actually showing the true reality of life? Um, so yeah, I would just challenge everyone to look at what perceptions of reality have, have you created that aren't actually accurate, you know, that you could change and you could say, wait, this is not actually how I should be living. Yeah. That framework can go much deeper than this. A surface level example of that is I grew up thinking I didn't like country music. And it's like, I, it's like whatever. It was like the small town that I lived in. It's like some people listen country, some people didn't. Like it was like the thing you say, right? And then like I started listening to country music and I was like, guys, like why did I have this framework in my head? Mm. Like what kind of, ex what all these different, you know, you go to a country music concert, you hang out with people who listen to it. Like it's a whole, it's by far a positive experience for millions of people. Like, why would you cut yourself out from that? Or like, so defining yourself of what you like and you don't like, be very careful with that because you may be holding yourself back from opportunities that are amazing. Yeah. And I would just say as one bonus idea, it's like a group think, you know, what mm -hmm. areas of your life have you fallen into a social default where you're just going with it because everyone around you hates country music. So you hate country music. It's like, and then also vice versa. Now that you're around a bunch of people who like it, like you just need to be able to be honest with yourself and say, what do I actually like? And if you want to get up and dance to whatever it might be, you should be like, I like that. And who cares? Right. Who cares what anyone else thinks? I grew up with an older brother who was uh, a bit judgmental in terms of what you listen to. And so I was always clouded by this idea that I would be judged if I told him that I like this or that. And then I, once I got older, I realized like, it doesn't it doesn't matter. I can like anything. You know, I'm I'm allowed to have my own opinions of the world, and and if he doesn't like it, then it does not matter at all. Yeah, yeah. It's all about kind of creating your own sense of taste. the uh, The next one I have is the a thousand dollars an hour test. And so, what this is about is about saying, okay, what would you do if you're going to get paid a thousand hours to do it? Which things would you prioritize? Right. And it comes back to this weighting of priorities. Now, I'm not saying that like you have to be making that kind of money, but it's a litmus test to the things that you are willing to do. And it all comes back to thinking about, okay, you know, what am I doing now? What am I going to be doing in five years? And what am I going to be doing in 10 years? And it's not about necessarily having clarity in each spot, but it's about having directional truth. And what I think is important here, and probably the key attribute to this, is playing games designed to win. So like whatever your objective is, and an example of an objective would be to make X amount of money, but it's somewhat of a surface level objective. Maybe objective could be happiness and objective could be 
having a family objective could be traveling the world. There's lots of objectives and they can over, they can go together, but make sure that the game you're playing allows for that objective to happen. And, and people often don't do this, right? They're like, I would love to travel the world, but then their, their job and their entire career is one that's never going to allow that to happen. I'm like, okay, so sometimes you realize you have different priorities, you change it. But sometimes you're saying, hey, if this is a priority of mine that's that's really important, then I have to think about what games I'm playing. Hmm. Yeah, I like the rule of kind of evaluating your time based on a certain amount of money. Yeah, absolutely. Here's another one, and maybe we just do a couple more. Um, big T and little t. Uh, this is something my therapist taught me, so I'm going to do my best to summarize it. But basically, big T refers to big traumas that you have dealt with in your life, while little t refers to smaller, more common traumas that can still have a significant psychological impact. Um, And one example of this is like something that happened when you were a kid that really affects you is a big T. It's something that like has created a sense of identity, something that you really struggle with, whatever that might be in terms of family members drinking, family members getting in trouble, something really traumatic that happened. And then these little T's that are sprinkled on, but they're actually connected to the big T. And so you're treating these little T's as something that is actually connected to the big T. And sometimes you need to take a step back and be like, I'm not upset because of what this little T is. I'm actually associating it with one of the big ones that I lived with for my entire life. And maybe you're just putting off. So again, the actionable insight there would be look at yourself and say, what things am I still holding on to from when I was younger that really affected me? And am I taking those traumas into the world today? You know, and maybe I could actually kind of deal with those in different ways rather than continuously resurfacing them through little things that actually aren't solving the big problem. Hopefully that makes sense, but it's a very difficult, painful one to deal with. Well, you know, it all comes down to like, the more you understand about yourself, the more the more capable you are to achieve your goals, right? And and uh, sometimes we live in a society where it's so easy to be surface level even with yourself. So how do you kind of how can you actually think about okay? Either, like, there's one of two things is true: either you're achieving all the things that you want to achieve, or you're not. And the answer for everyone is that it's not because you, it's always a growth trajectory; it's never a destination. And so therefore, there is always a vector for you to be able to improve upon yourself. And there's the two things that you can do. It's actions and it's mindset. And you're either going to take action in life or you're going to change your perspective of how you see the world. And you're going to go back and forth between the two. And so as soon as you aren't achieving what you want in actions, look at mindset. As soon as your mindset, it needs to be changed or it's not working, take an action in life. And, and just kind of cycle between the two of them. Mm. The next framework that I have is uh, no seven. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that whatever you're going to focus on, let's say, for instance, it's like, do you want to take this job? Do you want to move to this city? Do you want to, you know, go to dinner with these people? Rank that in your mind from one to 10, but you can't rank it a seven. Okay, so it's either going to be one through six, or it's going to be an eight, nine, 10. And what this does is it forces you to say, what does good look like? Right? Because why are you doing anything that's a six or below? Like, would you move to a city that you thought was a six or below? Would you go hang out with a friend and you thought that that night was going to be a six or below? 
Would you like take the job if you think it's going to be a six or below? No. And this is why it's important because if you don't take out seven, you might say, hey, it's good. It's good. It's okay. It's good. I'm going to do it. It's a seven. And then you end up doing things that like you're not necessarily happy with. And so that force function means that you start to realize, okay, hey, where do my priorities lie? What do I actually care about? And how can I make sure that I'm doing How can I be honest with myself, intellectually honest with myself about what's important? Mm. Yeah. I'll do my last one. And then I actually want to do a little bit of a, of a follow-up, but turning work into play, which is the perspective that you should be enjoying yourself. You know, people say that entrepreneurs work so hard and they work these crazy hours. But I think that the real key here is that it doesn't, what looks like work to others feels like play to yourself. And so what are those things that you actually love to do and you don't, it doesn't feel like work. It looks like work to the outside world, but to you, it's just fun. It's just something that you would do no matter what. And I think that that's when you find kind of what you were put on this earth to do. Maybe that's a little bit dramatic, but it's the honest truth is that what looks like work to others, but feels like play to yourself. Because that's how you know you're spending your time in something that actually matters. And I just wanted to summarize a little bit. It seems like there's these common trends, and there's really two trends that we've talked about throughout all of these frameworks. One of them is your perception. Just how do you perceive yourself? How do you perceive others? How do you react to those perceptions? But it's really just this lens that you see the world through. Can you change it? And then it's time management. You know, it's basically saying, where are you spending your time? And could you be spending on a different thing? You know, if you were the main character in your own life, what would you be doing differently? And that's really perception and time management combined into one, you know, saying like, okay, I'm the main character. I wouldn't be doing this. I'd be doing this, you know, and I wouldn't be seeing the world that way. I'd be seeing it this way, you know? And so at the end of this call, I can do a bunch of things, but what I should do, the main character would do is I'd go hit the gym. Then I'd go run a couple errands and then I'd finish my work and then I'd get all the things done to set me up for the best Monday possible rather than maybe just turning on the TV and relaxing because it's Sunday. You know, the things that actually are going to make me happy are a lot different than the things that I do. Yeah. And I mean, that's true for everyone, right? And it's a constant fight. Uh, so this is my last framework. Well, actually, we have a huge list, but this is the last framework that I'll, I'll present right now, which is it's not being wrong that's bad. It's not knowing that's expensive, right? And so this one I learned from business because we would be constantly running these marketing campaigns and people would spend millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars not knowing if it's working or not or like having lack of clarity. And so like you come in with data systems, you come up with operating, you do all this, but it's also true for life, right? If, you, if whatever you're doing isn't working, it's not, the problem isn't that you're bad at whatever. It's not that the situation's bad. The problem is that you don't know. If you know the answer and you know what needs to be fixed, then it's just about taking actions. Then that's solvable, right? Once you know what good looks like, you can figure out how to make it happen. The question is, how can you get to a point where what good looks like and how do you know what's holding you back? And I think that relates to like a lot of what we talked about. Attachment styles. How do you know what good looks like? Like if, if you're having a problem with the relationship, is it because, and is it because you know what's wrong and therefore you can address it? Or do you not know what's wrong? In which case, how do you figure it out? And the same with uh, thinking about the whole idea of, of your life and your vocation. Like, do you know what your vocation is or at least have some, some directional things that you're interested in? And, and it gets, it can be uncomfortable because, you know, it's interesting. People don't have these conversations often. 
I like to have intellectual conversations with friends and people I'm connected with. And you realize that unless you kind of bring it up, it tends to be somewhat unique. And it's because, you know, in our world today, no one has it all figured out, right? And so it's kind of like, and you don't want to say that you're going to go do something and then it doesn't end up being achieving it. And then you feel like you look bad, but get over that basically. Like at the end of the day, like I love it when people come to me and they have some passion, right? It doesn't have to be huge. It's like, it's just something where like their energy is there, that this is the thing that they're doing. Cause everything's a time and a place. Like I got a, I got buddies of mine who are big in a marathon running and like when they're training for that and they're getting close, like that's this thing that they've decided to do. And it's interesting. And that energy is uh, contagious and that's really how you kind of build a root community. So, so I think that that one is one of the most important ones, which is that it's not being wrong. That's bad. It's not knowing mm. that's expensive. Makes a ton of sense. And, and one thing I would say is it maybe, maybe it's a framework, maybe it's not, but it's understanding what interests you is what really matters. You know, like a lot of people read books because they bought the book, but it's like, if you're not interested in it, put that book down and find another book that you like. Um, and that's similar to these frameworks. Like not all of these might apply to you, but maybe one or two did, maybe all of them did, but take the one or two that actually matter and think about it and actually analyze it and write it down, write something down. Stop just living in your head 24 seven, put something on paper, create, get creative, you know, really try to externalize your belief systems and put them out into the world. You know, put yourself out there. Like that is a big one for me is like, just put yourself out there. You know, so many people hold back because they're just afraid to like expose themselves, you know, but at the end of the day, everyone likes what people do or someone likes everyone, <laughs> you know? And so yeah. you don't need to be worried that like, no one's going to like what you're doing. Someone's going to love it. You might even change someone's life. But if you never put yourself out there, there's no chance you ever will. Yeah. It's I, my big thing. And I think one of the main key components of why I like doing this podcast is I think that thematically it's important to have agency. And it's just like, it doesn't really matter what you want to do as long as you are doing what you want to do. Like if you want to go live in some small village in the middle of the jungle and that's your passion in life, like that's just as much agency as like you want to start a a small business in a town, or you want to, you know, be a yoga instructor, or you want to be a, a pilot or like it's it doesn't, and it doesn't have to be your job. It could be like some people focus on love. Some people focus on work. Some people focus on just building a, a rhythm of life. Um, but whenever there's something that's holding you back and you have an opportunity to go forward and address it, like then that, that is about building this confidence and this feeling as if, Hey, like, yeah, like what if, if one person listens to this and something I just said rang a bell in their mind and they're like, you know what? Like if I'm being intellectually honest with myself, my X factor, the thing that he's talking about is this, and then they go do that. This whole thing's worth it. hundred percent. And even if we leave with something that we didn't know about each other or ourselves, it's worth it. You know, again, putting yourself out there. Awesome. Well, I enjoyed this podcast and uh, I hope that uh, people carry it with them and have some positivity today. Yeah crush this next week that's coming up.